0: Do you know our church started in 1982? 1982. And that church was in the back room of our trailer. When I was young, we lived in a trailer. And we had a small addition. And that's where we had church. Some of you here today remember that place. And it was we started as just a few families. And as the months went on, The amount of our families that were coming began to grow. And we outgrew that room. It didn't take too long. But God's hand and His Holy Spirit was on that gathering from the very beginning in 1982. 1982. I was about 14 years old. A few pounds lighter, a few less gray hairs. But God's faithfulness remained on the gathering of the people. All right? And it kind of sounds weird that a church would start in in somebody's home or a trailer and things like that. Sometimes you you kind of relate that to some kind of cultic activity or, you know, some things like that. But I want to tell you, God's Spirit was really there. And my daddy, that started it all um, those many, many years ago was faithful and is faithful this day to the truth of god's word and god's spirit was on him from the very beginning and as he would follow god and teach god's word it began to have an effect on people in all his years of training and seeking after god god began to use him as a vehicle as a means of getting his word to other people And so we we had to move to two or three different places, three places that I can think of off the top of my head, as we outgrew one after another over the next few years. And God proved himself over and over and over. Every time we gathered together, God's spirit was there. And in his word it says, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. We don't have to hope, well, I hope that God shows up today. That shouldn't even be a thought because he promised us that when we gather together in his name, what does that mean, to gather together in his name? Well, it means that we're there for him. We're there to have church friends, all right? And it doesn't necessarily involve the building per se it's the people that fill it it's the people that are inside yeah that's the important thing and God loves those people as a matter of fact in his word maybe we can put this scripture up there John three sixteen. many of you are so familiar with this scripture that you can quote it But it's so very important that we remind ourselves of it. It's so very important that our own ears hear our voices speaking it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loved the world. Who's the world? You and me. God loved you and me so much that he gave his only son. That whoever would believe on him, and you see here, here is the qualifying factor. Do we believe in Christ Jesus the Lord? Do we, believe, do we believe that he is Christ? Do we believe that he is the Son of God? Do we believe that he is the Savior? All right. If we believe that, then the Bible says, this scripture says that we will not perish, but have everlasting life. And if you're looking at this in a carnal, in a fleshly sort of manner, you could think to yourselves, well, pastor, really? Come on. We're not going to live forever. Everybody knows that. Okay. Well, you'd be right in saying that. However, our spirits, our spirits, We are spiritual beings. Our spirits will, in fact, go on. They will live on after our fleshly bodies are put in the ground. Okay? Our bodies will return to the ground, but our spirits will live on. And our spirits, listen now, will live on either in a place where God is, or we will live in a place where God is not. Where God is, the Bible calls that heaven, Where God is not, the Bible calls that hell. And that is a choice that we make. Do we receive what Christ the Lord did on the cross of Calvary? Do we receive it? Because receiving and believing are two qualifying factors that make up the difference as to whether or not they decide whether or not we will go to be where God is or to go to be where he is not. We are the ones that make that decision. You see, God would never send anyone to hell. Yeah? I want you to hear that. God doesn't send people to hell. It's their rejection of Christ the Lord, the Savior of the world, the one in whose birth we are celebrating at Christmas. Okay. It's our rejection of that Christ child who grew up, lived 33 and a half years, and lived a perfect, sinless life, and then died on the cross, sacrificing himself to save humankind. If, but here's the thing we are saved, right? Maybe you're one of those saved people, right? You're saved. What does that mean to be saved? Well, we're saved from what? Saved from our sin, right? In order to be saved from our sin, we must receive. We must believe. And let's pull up that scripture that says, To them who believed him, to them who received him, he gave them the right to become sons of God, children of God. So there are some qualifying factors here that we need to make some decisions on. We need to decide, yes, I will receive Christ Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I will receive what he did on the cross as payment for my sin and thus become a child of the King. Or I say, no, I will not. I've got it, God. I don't need your help and thus rejecting him. It's our decision. God will not... If God was to force that upon us and say, you will do this, you will do this, and you will act, we become robots. We become robots and thus have no freedom of choice. God wants us to have that freedom of choice as it was in the Garden of Eden. Do you remember that story? In the Garden of Eden, there were... eden there was two people a man and a woman adam and eve okay and god gave them choice he gave them everything except for this one tree in the center of the garden and he said all of this i have created for you all of these things but that right there is not yours don't eat from that tree don't eat from that tree that one stay away from it all right because if you eat from that tree you will eventually die okay and so god gave us that choice to either obey him or to disobey him disobedience is sin and our disobedience always separates us from god do you know that our disobedience is what is sin and our sin separates us from christ the lord god is not willing the bible says that any should perish let's pull this scripture up god is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to what repentance god never wants people to go to hell all right God doesn't want that. As a matter of fact, his word says that he he, he wants everyone to come to a place. He wants everybody to come to him. He wants everybody to come to a place where they recognize their need for salvation. Do you follow? He's not willing that any, any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Well, what does it mean to repent? That was... That was the message, wasn't it? Back in the days of John the Baptist. Remember that weird guy? Dressed in camel's hair. And what was he eating? You remember that? Locusts and honey. That's weird. (laughs) Hey, okay. But this guy, this guy was a forerunner of the Christ. This guy was preparing the way for Christ the Lord to come. And he would say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. (laughs) Repent. And that word repent means to turn. Turn it around. Stop living the way you've been living. Stop living in your sin. Turn around and change. Turn around and receive what has been given to you. Well, what has been given to you? Salvation. Friends, the, fl- the plan, God's plan of salvation, we talked about this last week, that there are 400 d- different scriptures in the Old Testament alone that point to the birth of Christ, His life, His death, and His resurrection. Whew! 400 Scriptures pointing to Christ the Lord. Do you understand that? And there's only one being, one person that could fulfill that. And that was Christ the Lord. And you know what's interesting? Some, many, many of those Scriptures have been fulfilled before we were even alive. They were fulfilled in Christ's birth, okay? In His life. But some of those Scriptures are being fulfilled As we live it today, as we watch Israel, and we talked about this. Israel was the Lord Jesus' home. That's where he lived. All right? And... Sometimes we think that these things are just stories. But if you think, when I was there, it was like an eye-opener for me, man. Man, this stuff is real. This is legit. And even to this day, it seems like month after month, they're finding new, new confirmation about all of these places. They're doing archaeological digs. As we speak, I went to some of those locations. It was amazing it's not just a story it's not just a book it's real it's history and god's plan of salvation was fulfilled in the birth of that christ child when he was born of listen a virgin what are you kidding me you expect me to believe that really really all right? And in our eyes and in our carnal humanistic minds, we can't grasp that. I can't grasp that. But that's what God is asking us to believe. So we believe it. All right? So God, in His Spirit, all right, placed the seed of His Son in this perfect young maiden named Mary, the mother of Jesus. And she carried that baby. And she gave birth to the Christ child. You will name him Jesus. He will be called what? Emmanuel. Emmanuel. And that name means God with us. (laughs) God with us. No longer God out there, but God with us. Heaven, in a sense, had come to earth. Let's turn to that scripture. Isaiah. Let's turn to that scripture. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Did you bring your Bibles today? That's good. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel. He will, let's just stop right there. He will be called Emmanuel. God with us. You see, Jesus represents God himself coming to earth. And we've heard those songs, those great Christmas carols of old that say, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. When Jesus comes to earth, God is bringing peace on earth between God and people. That's what that means. Peace on earth coming from God. Emmanuel, God with us. Goodwill between us and men. Do you understand? Why did that need to happen? Why did there need to be goodwill between God and men? Because our sin, friends, separated us from God. And God was not satisfied to leave us in that state of separation. God the Father desired that his kids, you hear me? God desired that his kids be close. <laughs> close. And so he put in plan, it put in motion a plan in an effort that would save humanity, that would save all of us if we received him and we believed him. Do you believe? that Christ Jesus is the Lord? Do you believe that He he has come to save you from your sins? Do you believe that He is the very Son of God? Do you believe that He died and He rose again, stealing our salvation for all of eternity? If you believe those things, you will be saved. In the Bible it says, all who call upon the name of the Lord, what is the name of the Lord? Jesus. Jesus. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But you say, pastor, I've been a bad person all my life. I've lived like this. I've done this and this and this. And to that. The Bible responds in Romans that I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor height nor depth, nor angels nor demons, nor present nor future, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in who? Christ Jesus, our Lord. I get chills when I hear that scripture. Because it it shows us the love that God has for us and his willingness to sacrifice his son in order that we could be once again in right standing with God the Father. Man, I hope that that speaks to you like it speaks to me. I'm a pastor, but you know what? I'm far from perfect. Do you know that? And my sin still needs a Savior. We, The Bible says that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says that there is none righteous. No, not one. And so what do we do in response to our sin? Because our sin has, has separated us from God, what are we to do? What are we to do? We are lost in our sin except for the blood of God. Of Christ Jesus. This little baby, this little baby that was born of a virgin. Wow, what a story. But you know what? The birth of that virgin made it different than anything else in the whole world, in the whole history of mankind. That's God's boy, the Savior. Of the world. Do you understand? Do you understand? And so God sent his son to be born as Savior, to be born human and yet God at the same time. And this little baby grew and he grew and he lived 33 and a half years a sinless life, perfect. The perfect sacrifice, the spotless lamb of God. In his birth, in that lowly manger, no clothes just wrapped in cloths, placed in a f- place where the cattle feed from. Really? that's what it is and this humble most humble of all circumstances he was not born in royalty in a big castle a big mansion someplace but he was born in humility the fact that he was born in humility friends think about this Not only was he born in humility, but before he was even born, the message of the birth of the Christ child was given to who? Shepherds who watched their fields by night. Okay? So they're out tending their fields in the night, and what appears to them? Angels. Angels. And they're proclaiming the birth of this Christ child. And so back in those days, nowadays, when we hear the, the phrase the, "the name "shepherd," it, it, it has a good connotation to it, a positive. We think of the, David, what a great shepherd he was, and, and the great shepherd of Christ the Lord. But back then, the shepherds were not pleasant people. They were thieves, they were liars, and they were stinky peoples. It's the truth. Okay, So why then would the most important message ever to be given in the history of mankind be given to such lowly people? Why? Why would they be the ones responsible for spreading the news that the Christ child, whom 400 scriptures in the Old Testament point to, why would the most important message of all eternity be given to such lowly people? Why would the Son of God be born in such humble of circumstances? Why? Because, friends, when we see the humility of this Christ child, of this Savior, that gives the sinner hope. There's hope for me, a sinner. There's hope for me, a drug addict. There is hope for me, a porn addict. There is hope for me, a murderer. Yes, there is hope. Do you understand? That means that all that Christ is, that all that He has to offer in salvation is free to anyone who would receive and believe. When Jesus Christ died on the cross when he breathed his last. Do you remember some of the things that happened? One of the things was there was massive earthquakes. When these earthquakes happened, it says it also grew dark, and it says the veil of the temple, which is a massive curtain that separates the most holy of holies from the outer courts, it separates Basically, us from God, and only certain priests could be sent in there who have gone through all of these preparations to go into this Holy of Holies because the Spirit of God dwelt there. But that was torn in two, and now signifying that we have access to the very throne of God Himself. And in Hebrews it says, Let us come boldly, boldly, you hear me? Not sheepishly oh no when our children come to us they come boldly they don't come and you know they don't come no they come and sometimes they just run right into us sometimes they jump right in our arms they're not sheepish they just run why why do they do that Because they know that they're going to be received, they won't be rejected. And that's the way it is with God, friends. It doesn't matter your sin if you believe and you receive on Christ Jesus the Lord. Your sin is washed away as if it never existed. You are wiped clean before God. And he receives you as his children. Isn't that beautiful? Doesn't that—that's the hope of the message of Christmas, friends. That's what it's all about. Amen. It's all about the love that the Father has for you and for me. And I want to put this last scripture up there. Romans, I think it's five eight or eight five. I forget now, but it says. Christ demonstrated His love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. Thank you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't say, Russ, I will receive you, but first, you got you to gotta fix your hair. You got to... You got to clean yourself up. You got to start talking like a Christian. You got to stop swearing. You got to stop smoking. You got to stop drinking. Then I will receive you. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. He demonstrated his own love for us in this that while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. He received us. Even though we were still dirty, stinky in our sin, Christ Jesus loved us, and he died for us. Wow. That is some powerful stuff. Friends, it's not about the gifts that are under the tree. It's not about the candy canes. It's not about Santa Claus. It's not about all... it's, It's not about this. It's not even about... Gathering family together to have a big meal. It's it's not about it. It's about the love of God for you and for me. That is it all. And you know what? Your friends and your family and the people in your workplace and in your schools, they don't need to hear about Santa Claus, friends. That ain't going to do them one bit of good. But hearing about the love of God for them right where they are right now, that changes people's lives. That saves people. That sets people free. That's what this whole message, that's what this whole season is about. Yes, we have made it something that it was not intended to be, although it was not said to to, uh, have Christmas and celebrate Christmas by the, you know, Santa Claus. It was not said about that. We have made it, all right? It's right for us, wouldn't you say, to celebrate the birth of Christ? Yeah, it really is. He deserves it. And what it did for all of us deserves recognition. It deserves honor. It deserves respect. It deserves majesty. It deserves glory. And praise. It's right to do what we're doing. But what we have made it, no. No. Okay? Now I I love Christmas. It's my most favorite season of the whole year because of everything involved in it. I love it all. I love all the lights. I love all the gift giving. I love the decorating. I love Christmas music. Yeah. But I love it all. And But the the center of it all, the center of it all is about the love of God for his people. That's what your friends, that's what your family, your coworkers, that's what they need to hear, the message of Christmas. I pray that today, when you leave this place, that you will carry the message of Christmas with you and that you will share that message with other people. That you care about, Amen. Would you stand with me today? We're going to close with a song, and we're going to. I want to just want to say a prayer here with you today. I want you to hear me. If you have not received Christ Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, well, what does that mean? Well, that basically means that you are confessing out loud that you have received Christ as your Savior, to forgive you for your sins and to cleanse you from all sin, unrighteousness, okay? And that you are making a decision to follow Him. I'm not talking about any of the other stuff, but the message of repentance, turning around, In the Bible, after Jesus was crucified, he appeared to many of his followers, the apostles, Peter, James, John, and the like, while they were gathered together. And do you remember that one time that he appeared to them in spirit, Thomas was not there, the apostle, okay? And so later on, when they got back together, they were all talking about it, and Thomas was like, what? listen, you guys, I'm not going to be taken for a fool. I'm not going to believe a word that you guys are saying until I see it myself. I'm not going to be a fool. Okay? He says, I'm not going to believe that Jesus rose from the dead until until I take my finger and I stick it right where the nails were. And I'm not going to believe it until I stick my hand where the spear was. I'm not going to believe it. Well, wouldn't you know, Jesus appears again to his friends, the apostles. And who's there but Thomas? And what does he say to Thomas? He says, Thomas, look at me. (laughs) Look at me. And he says, see my hands, where the spikes were, where the nails were. Touch it. Put your fingers there as you said that you would not believe until you do it. Put your fingers there. Here, look at my side. Place your hand there. See, it's me. It's me, Thomas. Now, the words that he said ring in my ears and I hope it will do the same to you. Now, Thomas, that you have seen, stop doubting and believe. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you've been here. Maybe you've heard this message. Maybe you've been to church a hundred different times, but you've refused to believe and to turn around today. Stop it. Stop your doubting and believe. Stop it and believe. God wants to work in your heart. He wants to work in your lives. Stop doubting and believe. I just want to pray a quick prayer here. And I want you to repeat after me. If the words that I have spoken from the Word of God today are ringing true in your heart, and as you're considering what has been said and the place where you are in relation to that, if you are willing, follow me as I pray. And I want you to speak these words out loud. It's important that you you hear it yourself. Let's pray together, Heavenly Father. I come to you today. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I have disobeyed you. I know that I need a Savior, and I can't do it myself. But I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin from this day forth. I believe on you. I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. I believe that you died on the cross to save me from my sin. I believe that you died and rose again and that I am free if I believe you. I believe you and I receive you. Help me to live for you.